0: So, a recent survey. It found that out of 100 people, 100 of them will die at some point of something. This is the fact of our mortality, and so it is good for us to think about what happens after death. That's what our readings are about today. There was different views in the ancient world. The view of of Plato and kind of of the philosophers that followed him were was that at death, the the essence of the person, their soul, immortal soul, ascends to the realm of forms, this ideal perfect place, and escapes the prison of the body. More popularly in Hellenistic culture, they had the myths, including the myth of Hades, so that at death, a person's spirit descended into this kind of shadowy underworld. In some Eastern religions, and they still believe today in reincarnation, that that a person's life force uh, after death will come back into the world uh, as a different person or even an animal, and you kind of go up or down the hierarchy of existence based on your karma and what you did in your last life. For the Jews, there was a variety of beliefs, but many of them believed in a place called Sheol, uh, a place where the spirits kind of were waiting. uh, Until, as many of them believe. God would reform the bodies of those people, and uh, would bring about their their new you know a new corporeal eternal existence for them. Our our uh, first reading is part of these two books, the Maccabees, first and second Maccabees, which I really recommend you read. They're they're uh, page turners. You can't stop once you once you start. There's so much going on, and they're set about 150 to 200 years before Christ. So this is, um, to understand what was going on, you have to remember this guy, Alexander the Great. Remember him? He conquered he conquered all the, 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 uh, the, the, the Middle East and, and Europe and things like that. And he, um, he ended up uh, dying quite, quite young, and his empire was split amongst different generals. And so there was a group of basically Greek generals, kings, that ended up ruling over Israel. And one of those decided that he didn't like how the Jews were distinct. The Jews were distinct because of circumcision. They were distinct of of their belief in one God, of course. They were distinct also in their food laws. And so he wanted them to blend in, to be assimilated. And so he was forcing them to do so. So our reading today is about a group of seven brothers who refuses to go along with this. And so they're being first questioned, interrogated, bribed, and then threatened and tortured and killed because they will not disobey the laws of God. And there's this back and forth that goes on and during part of this conversation, you know, they're being threatened with having their hands chopped off. And they say, go for it, here you go. God who made this one will give me a new one. And if you think these brothers are brave, you should read about their mother. Their mother is there, and instead of crying and saying, please don't hurt my sons, she's encouraging them. You know, don't be afraid, son. You know, God will give you a new body. Not all Jews believed in the resurrection. We know about one of the, of the groups, which was very prominent in our Gospels, the Sadducees, right? The Pharisees did believe that on the last day, God will raise up all those who have died. They'll, they'll, have, they'll have bodies as well as spirits. But the Sadducees did not believe that. The Sadducees believed that when you died, that was the end of your personal existence. And that is why they were sad, you see. That's how, anyways, that's how you can distinguish them, remember them. So they try to present to Jesus this absurd situation, which they think, in their cleverness, will invalidate the whole idea of the resurrection. It's, it's a hypothetical of a woman who gets married. She marries a man, and he dies without, without them having a child. And so in the, in the Leveret Law, in the Old Testament, his brother is supposed to marry her, and in a sense, produce offspring not only for himself, but for his brother who had died. And, and they tell this story where there are seven brothers who marry her and they all die. And so you might have thinking, maybe they should have thought it's bad luck to marry this lady, right? Anyways, um, but in, so it's this, they're, they're, they're saying, okay, okay, yeah, Jesus, you who believe in the resurrection... Okay, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And so Jesus' response indicates that their understanding is very naive and simplistic. He speaks of the coming age and those, those worthy to attain it uh, as being a, a transformed reality. Right? And he says that the, those who, who are worthy to attain to that coming age will be children of God, they will be like angels. There is no marriage in heaven. Some of you may be happy to know that. Right? that you don't, you're not still married to your spouse. Some of you, I don't know. Um, but the reason is because the purposes for which God created marriage are no longer uh, served in heaven. And so it's, to, it's to partly to make a husband and wife into saints. Right? It's, to, it's to create new immortal beings. It is to, um, uh, to signify in such a way, actually to make present, the intimate love, the covenant love that God has with his people. And we know that in the ultimate reality all of us have this intimacy directly with God, we are the bride and Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. So the apostles, when they were preaching about this, this Jesus, one of the main things they talked about was that he rose from the dead, bodily. And that those who believed in him would, sh- would share in that reality. Now. They didn't understand, nor can we, exactly what that is like. There's a a metaphor that St. Paul uses. He says, you know, our earthly life here is like a seed, and our life in the coming age is like the plant. So there's a continuity, right? The seed and the plant, they're, they're a continuous organism, but they're quite different, right? The plant is superior in appearance, in experience, and in function. When I was helping with formation of our seminarians, when I was vocation director, Seminarians would have interesting conversations about theological topics. And I remember one of the topics was, is there pizza in heaven? (laughs) Are pets in heaven? And I'm not going to even get into that one right now. There are arguments on both sides of these, by the way. There are arguments, actually, on both sides of these. N.T. Wright is uh, an excellent biblical scholar. He's an Anglican uh, bishop and biblical scholar. And he says when he was... When he was younger, even in his years as a priest, he did what most of us do. So he equated resurrection with life after death and with heaven. Isn't that how you think of it? Well, it's not entirely accurate, though. So Jesus speaks of a coming age. St. Paul speaks of a new heavens and a new earth. So there is... In God's plan, the end is not just us spirits in heaven with the angels, but earth somehow, material reality somehow, us with bodies, this new reality. its The heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation comes down to earth, which which gives us a much greater sense of the significance of creation. God makes Adam and Eve to, to sanctify the material reality, to take it up. Into heaven, And so this is something that the, the, the Christians were very aware of. And one of the ways that they reminded themselves of it was how they observed time. You know, if you travel to a new place, you have to adjust yourself to a new time zone. Now, before we all had mobile phones, you actually had to change your watch. Remember that? Yeah, so and our time just changed. And we, remember we used to have to do that? We used to figure that out, get up and change it anyways. So you have to adjust, not just your watch, but your, your, yourself. You have to adjust yourself to a new time zone. So the early Christians, you know, for the Jews, Saturday, the seventh day, the day of rest, was the most important day. But for the Christians, they began to gather to celebrate the Mass on Sundays. Right? So Sundays took on this new significance. Sunday was the first day of the week, but the Christians understood it kind of as the eighth day, the day that never ends. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, not only were they celebrating Sundays every week, but the the calendar began to be oriented around the annual feast of Easter. This became the most important thing. So all of their time was oriented to this event in which Jesus' resurrection is the future coming into the present. This future-perfected reality in which good triumphs over evil, life over death, all of this was brought into time by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we gather and we say the creed every Sunday, we say we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, when that which has begun to exist now will be consummated. So if we really believe in the resurrection, there's a, a couple of things, at least a couple, if not more, that follow from it. First, we understand the primacy of that other time zone. You know that Father Ignatius is from Kenya, and they're in a very different time zone. So sometimes I'll hear him early in the morning or late at night on the phone, right? Because he is accommodating himself to the time zone of his family and friends back, back in Kenya. Okay. So we have, we have to live our lives in a way that we have, we have oriented, accommodated our lives to this, the future time zone. As Christians, there should be things about us that are strange to others. Right? The way of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, we know that the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, those hungry for justice, and the persecuted are truly blessed. When the world tells us constantly that it is the rich and powerful that are blessed. One of the strange things that some of us do is we embrace celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Remember Jesus talks about the future age, there's no marriage. Some of us live that future age now by embracing apostolic celibacy. This is supposed to make people say, that's strange. (laughs) Why do you do that? And it is, it is a sign pointing to that reality, that future reality. When we all have this intimate relationship with God, which marriage is a sign itself a sacrament St. Paul says in our way of life should say to others that the world in its present form is passing away and so let us turn our gaze to God and to the things and set our hearts on the things that endure secondly if we really believe in the resurrection it helps us to deal with to bear loss and suffering right, without falling into despair like the Maccabean martyrs and their mother. For them, having their hand chopped off, I mean, sure, it it hurts, right, of course, but deeply, they understood it as like losing your baby teeth. And that's the truth of the the, the matter. The more that, and, and not only that, but when we bear suffering in faith, united to God, and this is another amazing reality, We are participating in producing this future glory. St. Paul, he says that our sufferings in this life are a momentary light affliction which are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. This month of November, we just celebrated All Saints Day, All Souls Day. The church turns our attention to the next life, and to the coming age. Church turns our attention to the last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. If you walk by in the hallway, you'll notice those names on the wall are all the funerals we celebrated over the last year. There's 53 of them here. It's a lot. There was, was a man who used to play go- golf with a priest. His name was Bob. And he would always ask the priest different questions. And one day he asked him, he said, he said, Father, is there golf in heaven? And the priest said, well, I'm not sure. I'm going to ask God about that. The next week they gathered together and, uh, and Bob said, do you have an answer, Father? And the father said, I have good news and bad news. I talked to God and he said, there is golf in heaven. What's the bad news, Bob asked. Well, you have a tea time there next Tuesday. <laughs> We're thinking of all those who have died We think of golf, you know, the idea that they're resting, but they're not completely at rest. They don't have their bodies yet. They're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet, right? They are still, well, the Blessed Virgin Mary has her body, right, we know that, but. So they're still looking forward with us to the final reality. In fact, they're cheering us on as we do our part to bring about the age to come. For he is God, not of the dead, but of the living.